right. Welcome to part two of our series, Death to Selfie. I hope you have enough of a sense of humor to have a little fun with that. Uh, but we are looking in this series at, at one specific person in Scripture, this man named Jacob, and, and his, the extended cast of characters around him, his family, as we discover these things about identity, discover how to become the people who God created us to be, who God has paid the price for us to be, rather than striving to be what we think society needs us to be or a culture wants us to be or others think we should be. So in your Bible, in Genesis chapter 25, we're going to dive right in. Um, last week, we looked at how Jacob uh, took the, the blessing. He stole the blessing from Esau. And we referenced that this wasn't the first time that Jacob had taken something from Esau, the firstborn, that he took also the birthright. So we're going to go back and see how the birthright was given away and exactly what happened in that part of the story. So Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 24. So when the time came for her to give birth... This is their mother, Rebecca. There were twin boys in her room. The first one to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they had a Chewbacca baby. Uh, and they named him Esau. Esau means red. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. We discovered that Jacob literally means one who grasps at the heel, but, but what it really means is a deceiver. It's an expression in the Hebrew language. And so Jacob from birth was declared to be a deceiver. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca, his wife, gave birth to them. I'm 35 and I feel like I'm too old to be having babies. Keep up with these things. I can't imagine being 60 and having twin boys running around beating each other up all the time. Uh, it was a challenge, I'm sure. 27, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. While Jacob was content to stay at home, among the tents. Isaac, their father, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. Everybody say famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he is also called Edom. Edom is a, in a variation of the name Adam. Adam, which means man, but came from the earth. Edom referring to the red clay that they were taken from. So he's Esau the red, Edom the red. In fact, there's a, a nation who's going to come out of him, the Edomites, uh, who, who are foes of the Israelites for hundreds of years. They, they bring terror and destruction upon God's people. 31, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. You want some of my stew? I'll give you some stew, but you have to give me your birthright. Esau replies, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Let's pray. Father God, as we look into this story that you've passed down for us in your word. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us loudly, speak to us clearly today. God, I ask that you bring protection for your people as we look into the warnings of the mistakes of Esau and help us to see the great inheritance that you have provided for us. We thank you for all this. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to speak to you in part two of our Death to Selfie series. I want to talk to you about starving sons starving sons. This has to be one of the worst negotiations in the history of humanity. Isaac 
was loaded, one of the wealthiest men on earth in this day and age. And the birthright entitled Esau to a double portion of the inheritance. He got two chunks of the inheritance. So if each son was going to get $50 million, well, Esau was going to get $100 million. And so for that extra $50 million, and actually more likely there was even a greater financial value in today's dollars than that. It's probably significantly more than that. He traded all that for one bowl of stew. What a ridiculous trade. What I want you to do this morning is I want you to imagine that you have your dream car. You got your dream car, uh, whatever that might be. Tim's, I see Tim's, what's your dream car, Tim? 1934, probably the only one in the room with that dream car, except maybe Chris. Tim has very specific tastes. Uh, some people don't even know there was a 1930 in this room. Uh, but uh, but he, he, he dreams of a 1934. What else? Anthony, what's your dream car? Anthony does not have a dream car. Bobby, what's your dream car? All right. We got no, no dreams in the house. Uh, who's got a dream car? Bear, oh, got to think. I, I see Pam's hand. Pam. A, a Jeep. A Camaro. Set your sights a little higher. Um, Jenny. A Mustang, all right? We got some dream car. Rogelio. Ford Raptor. I don't even know what that is. Jackie. One that works. All God's people said amen. That's the dream. Just living the dream. A car that works. Well, let's say for a minute that, that you've got your dream car, whatever that is. Whatever, however many thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands your dream car would be. I thought we'd have like some supercars. I thought somebody say a Lamborghini or a Bentley or a Rolls. Uh, but, but our sights are a little lower than that. But regardless, we got some dreams, some things that are maybe beyond where we are right now. So imagine you got that dream car, whatever that is. And then you've all got on your seat a, a city church pen. In fact, somebody hand me, toss me your city church pen, Nathan. Pen in your hand, toss that to me. Thank you. All right. So you've got your dream car. Good, good pass. Um, I'm going to trade you this city church pen for your dream car. What do you say? Ridiculous, right? Like you wouldn't even consider it. That's the nature of the trade that's being made. You're like, I don't need your city church pen. I steal a city church pen every week anyway. I don't need that. Thank you. Right? So, you, so you've got a whole collection of city church pens. You don't need our city church pen. But even if you didn't, you're not giving up your Porsche for a pen. Right? None of us are going to do that. And yet that's exactly what Esau does, except on an even greater scale, to, to an even more ridiculous, unfathomable degree. It's a bad trade. Everybody say bad trade. The, the more that we study this passage, we're going to discover there's some things here that, that we can actually relate to. Because none of us would make this trade. None of us would do this. We think it's ridiculous just upon reading it. But what I've discovered as I've read through this, as I've studied on it, as I've prayed through it, is all of us in this room make this trade all the time. All of us in this room, we make some bad trades. We make some ridiculous trades. We give up some incredibly valuable things for things of very temporary significance. And so I want to give you some cautions today. This is going to be a very cautionary message. This is going to be a message that hopefully for somebody in this room, I believe God is going to speak to you and, and protect you 
from some bad decisions. Perhaps somebody in this room, God's going to speak to you in, in the midst of a bad decision and pull you out of it. Or, or perhaps even with the retrospect of a bad decision, he's going to help you to fix that bad decision. But I want to give you three warnings today. And then at the end, we're going to go a totally different direction as we wrap this up. I got to show you something very encouraging. But before we can get there, I have to show you these warnings. So put this down. Number one, our first warning for you is this. Beware of mistaking growth for maturity. Beware of mistaking growth for maturity. Look what it says in Genesis 25, verse 27. It says, the boys grew up. They got older. They grew up, right? They matured physically. They developed in stature. But we see them fighting and scrapping and going at one another just like they did at birth. They haven't grown up. They, they haven't developed any. They haven't moved beyond this sibling rivalry. You imagine Jacob seeing Esau, and he's like, I'll give you some stew for your birthright. And Esau's like, I'll give you a knuckle sandwich. Uh, and Jacob's like, I'll tell mom. And you see, like, this, this little childish immaturity going on as you read this passage. If, if you read this and you're like me, you think that when we're probably talking about some teenagers here, right? Uh, the Hollies, you guys got four teenage boys. I'm sure there's no sibling rivalry ever in your house, right? No. Ne never anything that goes on. Man, they love each other. No, they do love each other, but I'm sure there's still some rivalry sometimes where they're, they're going at each other. Well, these aren't actually teenage boys. In fact, when you study it, they were 60 years old when this happened. 60 years old. You think you're a failure because your 20-year-old hasn't grown up. They're 60 years old, and they're still acting like little kids. Beware of mistaking growth for maturity. See, just because you grow up doesn't mean you grow up. And yes, we need to honor our elders. Yes, we need to, to lean on the wisdom of those who have gone before us. But there is no guarantee just because the calendar turns another page that you develop more maturity. And we see this in, in, in many areas. For Esau, he grew up and became a skillful hunter. He got really good at what he did. He was great at going out and hunting down a meal. But he never grew up in who he was. He developed his talents, but he didn't develop his character. So he ended up forfeiting what was rightfully his because while he grew in his skill, he never grew in his integrity. And that's a danger that, that many of us have, especially if you're particularly gifted. Esau was manly from birth. He came out hairy from birth. He was intimidating from birth. He was someone that they looked up to. Man, he's going to be a great leader. He's a great man. He's the kind you can get behind. And so because that came very naturally to him, he didn't feel like he had to develop who he was. There's somebody in this room, you've got a great gift, a great skill, a great ability, and you think that that means you don't have to grow up. You don't have to mature. You don't have to develop your relationship with God. And if you do that, if you make that mistake, it's going to cost you. It cost Esau greatly. It says the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. He got very good at killing his dinner, but he did not get good at controlling his appetite. He didn't develop the self-control while he developed his skill. Don't always mistake age for wisdom. With age should come wisdom, but it is not automatic. We have to develop it. We must pursue it. Maybe there's somebody in here who's, who's really good at making money. You developed the skill to hunt, but you've not developed the infrastructure in your life how to manage that money. You grew up with the gift, but 
the gift is actually somewhat of a curse. For Esau, his gift was a curse. Both of the times where he lost something, both of the times he lost his birthright and he lost his blessing, it's when he was out hunting, doing the thing that he was good at. His greatest strength was actually his greatest weakness. Don't think just because you're good at that thing, whatever it may be, that that is automatically a blessing for you if you don't develop the character to go with it. Maybe you're really good at making friends, but you can't keep a friend. You can go out and you can bag them and tag them and bring them home, but you can't return a phone call. You can't develop and advance a relationship. Maybe you're really good at attracting the opposite sex, but you bounce from relationship to relationship to relationship because you're not good at actually working through problems. You're not good at receiving criticism and realizing you've got some areas to grow, so you bounce from one to the next to the next. Your greatest skill can many times be your greatest weakness. It was for Esau. Don't mistake external growth for inward maturity. The the boys grew up, but they never grew up. Verse 27 again says about Jacob, says, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents, Isaac, their father who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. This is the picture of of the father who, who favors a particular child because that's the child who brings home the trophy. That's the child who brings some pride. That's the child who, who does something. And so the father loves the child who, who can do something for him rather than loving the child for who he is. So Isaac loves Esau because he had a taste for wild game and Esau knew how to hunt. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Jacob had a special relationship with his mom, so he developed skills that were more indoor skills. He learned how to cook, and that skill came in handy for Jacob, as we're about to see. Verse 29, as Esau goes hunting, Jacob was cooking some stew. Esau came in from the open country, famished. I had to repeat that word famished when we read through it earlier for a reason. In order to understand the decision that Esau makes, you have to understand the state that Esau was in. He was hungry. He was starving. He was famished. So he had a conversation with Jacob in his famished state. Let me say this. Be careful who you talk to when you're vulnerable. Be careful who you listen to when you're in a state of vulnerability. Esau comes back, and he starts up a conversation with Jacob. Jacob didn't go to Esau. Jacob didn't scheme this one up. This one fell into his lap. Later on, we we saw last week when he went for the blessing, Jacob went out after it with mom's help. This time, Jacob didn't come after it. Esau came to Jacob. Esau starts the conversation. You know, many times when we're in a vulnerable state, when we're in a weakened state, when we're in a state where, where things are not going well, we may turn to the first person who's convenient to talk to, for the person who's around to get some advice from, and sometimes that can be the worst thing we can do. You see, if you listen to the wrong voice, you're going to make the wrong choice. We have to be very discerning about the voices that we listen to because many times the enemy is going to provide us with a convenient voice that's going to lead us in the wrong direction. Esau listened to the wrong voice and he made a terrible, terrible choice. Verse 30, he said to Jacob, quick, you see the urgency in his voice, boy's hungry, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. That's why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, Sell me your birthright. What? What? It had to sound so ridiculous in the moment. Like, you can't even possibly be serious. And Esau's like, whatever, just give me some stew. And then Jacob says, no, swear to me. And Esau realizes he's for real. But, but think about this. Esau's the big, strong, hairy hunter. Jacob's the stay-at-home-in-the-tents mama's boy. 
They've been fighting their whole lives. Just beat him up and take some stew. You beat him up before. It's happened. I guarantee it. It's not in scripture, but I know brothers well enough. I am one. It's happened. Just beat Jacob up. How hard could it be? Get a bowl of stew. You can have a whole pot of stew, and you still got your birthright. But Esau, in his weakened state, forgets his strength. You know, when you're vulnerable, when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, when you're vulnerable, many times you're going to forget your strength and operate from a point of weakness. He's weak and doesn't remember his own strength. And then watch in verse 32 how Esau the warrior, Esau the hunter, Esau the man's man turns into a little drama queen. Look, I'm about to die. Really? Your daddy's loaded. It ain't been that long since you had a meal. Right? Like, you are not some starving kid who needs somebody to sponsor you. Like, you, you are not dying. You're just hungry. Right? You just think you need something. I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? Brings us to our second warning, our second caution from this passage. Beware of unsatisfied appetites that can become exaggerated emotions. Give you a second to, to chew on that, to, to, to hear that. Beware of unsatisfied appetites that can become exaggerated emotions. Esau was in trouble because he was hungry. He compromised. He gave up something very important to him because he was hungry. He was taken advantage of because he was hungry. I brought a little video that maybe will help to illustrate this second point for you. Uh, if you'll go ahead and roll this for us, let's just take a few seconds. You guys grew up together. Since third grade. What are you looking at? I I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, yeah. Jesus. Supermodels? What are you modeling, gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. Oh, sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers really satisfies. And that might be an ad campaign, and you might have just decided you want a Snickers for Valentine's Day. Uh, but there's so much truth in that statement. You are not you when you're hungry. Right? You ever been around somebody who is hungry, hangry? You're not you when you're hangry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers did this whole campaign, and there's a whole ton of videos. There's one with B Betty White running pass routes. Um, like, you're not you when you're hungry, any good nutritionist, which I am not one, but I know some, any good nutritionist will tell you the worst thing you can do if you're trying to lose weight is starve yourself. Because you might make it through breakfast, and you might make it through lunch, you might even suck it up through dinner, but about 1030, there's going to be a voice calling from the refrigerator, and it ain't going to be the kale. It's going to be the ice cream. Kale don't talk at 1030. Right? Kale's in bed. Kale's healthy. Kale's got a good life. Ice cream talks at 1030. And ice cream gets loud and hard to ignore. And that voice begins to call to you. And please don't think that I'm just talking about food here. We're using food to illustrate some spiritual truths. That you are not you when you're hungry. A lot of times the reason that we make bad deals in life, the reason that we make bad deals with people, the reason that we let others take advantage of us is we've allowed ourselves to become hungry. We didn't pack a snack. There's no excuse for us as God's people to be hungry. I looked it up 
this week, and in, in this day, day and age of technology, we've all got a Bible on our phone or on our tablet or, or on the internet nearby. There's no excuse for any of us to ever be hungry. Looked it up on our City Church website. We have over 200 podcasts available on a whole wide range of topics. There's no reason why we have to go out and not pack a snack. There's no reason why we ever need to be hungry. We live in a day and age where YouTube and iTunes and Spotify and all these things have put worship music at our fingertips. We can take Elevation with us. We can take Hillsong with us. We can take Chris Tomlin with us. We can take Jimmy Folk and the City Church worship team that put together a three-song set with us that we got for Easter last year. We can take them with us. There's no excuse for us to be hungry. There's no need for us to be hungry. There's no reason why we have to not be us. Some of us, and I didn't plan on saying this, but I feel like God just said it. Somebody in this room, you don't even know who you are because you've never been satisfied. Because you're always hungry. Because you never even really learned to open the word of God. You never even learned to feed yourself. And so you don't even know who you are. Because you're in a constant state of hunger. You're running around like Joe Pesci all the time. You're not you. When you're hungry, some of us need to find out who we are and start to satisfy ourselves with the bread of life. We need to start feeding on what God has provided us. And when we don't, when we walk around hungry, we're going to make bad decisions. Esau walked around hungry, and he made some horrible decisions. Maybe if he would have thought ahead, he wouldn't have been in this predicament. He'd have taken some beef jerky with him. He'd have had something in his pack ready to go. He'd have had some rabbit or something that was handy and tasted like chicken. But he didn't. And he came home hungry, he came home starving, and he made a terrible decision. We can laugh at Esau, but we can all relate at how our emotions get exaggerated when we're hungry, when we're empty. Then we look at all these people around us, and we start taking offense at all the things that they didn't do for us, the things that they didn't say to us, the things that they didn't provide for us. We start believing that people are supposed to sustain us, and it's not their job, it's not their responsibility. We look to others for the things that only God can provide. Because we're not satisfied with the bread of life because we are settling for weak plastic substitutes that only sustain for a moment, that don't truly fill our appetite. You get too lonely because you're not getting love from the right place. You're not finding your identity from the only one who truly loves you for exactly who you are, from the only one who will ever love you unconditionally. And so you get lonely and you decide, well, I know that this might not really be love, but I'm going to hook up with this person from the club who's going to feel like love for a little while. And in that moment, you make a decision and you exchange something precious and valuable that God gave for you for something temporary that will not last, for something cheap, for something that will dishonor you and cause you to despise what you experienced. You didn't drink from the stream that God provided for you, so you settle for a polluted pond for just a moment that you think will provide something. When you get too hungry, you start talking yourself into forfeiting your faith. I'm about to die. What good is my birthright? Esau said. I brought a bowl to illustrate this, and I thought about filling this bowl with some beans because I think that was probably something that the stew uh, had that Jacob provided, but then I decided, you know what? I'm not going to put beans in there, for number one, because if I do, I'm going to spill them, and it's going to look ridiculous, so I will bring an empty bowl. But more importantly... I brought an empty bowl because, you see, even when the bowl is full, it's still empty. You see, the bowl that Esau got was full, and he ate until he was full. But the decision that he made was empty. 
It only brought him emptiness. The exchange that he made did not give him the satisfaction that he needed. He just discovered emptiness. It's really hard to honor God when I'm hungry and there's a bowl in my face and it smells so good. You know when you're hungry, anything smells good? When you're hungry, you'll settle for anything, man. You'll, you will take whatever you can find this year on the Daniel fast. And I debated if I even wanted to be this honest because I told you my, on myself like 10 years ago what I did on the Daniel fast. And I screwed up this year, too. But I'm going to tell you because I got to be off. Last week, I talked about not putting on a front. This week, I got to not put on a front, right? So I made it to like day 19, day 20 of the Daniel fast, somewhere in there. And I'm feeding my son goldfish. Gold, this is the most embarrassing story I ever told. I gave up on day 19 of my Daniel fast for some freaking goldfish. You know how many times I've eaten goldfish since I got off the Daniel fast? Zero. That didn't tempt me. I'm not like, oh, man, I got to have some goldfish. We got them at the house all the time. There's always some goldfish around. I'm never like, oh, man, that goldfish is so good. Goldfish does not have a voice at 1030 for me. But I had a voice when I was on the Daniel Fest. And I listened to it, and I gave in, and it's so stupid and so lame. And thankfully, I did learn from my lesson from 10 years ago in that I didn't just quit at that point. I finished out the rest of it. I repented. And here's the part that I left out. My wife busted me. Uh, <laughs> she walked in, and I got a handful of goldfish. And goldfish crumbs in my beard. Uh, Judah, put it in my mouth. <laughs> but when you're hungry, anything smells good. When you're hungry, anything will talk to you. And Esau thought, man, there's some satisfaction in that bowl. Why? Because he was starving. Because he couldn't find satisfaction. He didn't plan ahead for what he needed. But not you when you're hungry. Maybe you start feeling like maybe I'll never get married. Maybe no one's ever going to love me like that, so I'm just going to settle for this temporary fix. Allow me for just a moment to talk to my, my young sisters in the room. I know Pastor Bo and his team are, are leading Battle of the Sexes right now and leading you through some discussions on purity every Wednesday night. If you're in 6th through 12th grade, you do not need to miss this. You need to be here. There's two more weeks of it. You need to be here every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. But allow me just to piggyback off of what he's doing and his team are doing. I want to speak to some young ladies for just a minute. There's a girl in this room. There's a boy putting his hand in places he shouldn't even be thinking about. And you don't like it, but you let him do it because you feel like it's the only way that he's going to like you. That's the only way he's going to love you. That's the only way he's going to care about you. Can I just tell you today, walk away from that bowl. Put that bowl down. You don't need anything there. The next time he tries to touch you, you need to tell that dude to his face, you ain't nothing but an empty bowl. I'm a daughter of the king. I deserve some frying china. In fact, I am fine china. And until I got some white linen tablecloth and some fine china, I ain't messing with no empty bowl. There's nothing there for you. There's nothing that will satisfy. It will only hurt you. It will only break your heart. It will only steal from you. It will only take advantage of you. Walk away from that empty bowl. Beware of the bowl because the bowl looks better in the store than it does when you take it home. It smells better in the moment than it does after it's over. What a horrible trade that Esau makes. Jacob, I'll give you my inheritance for a bowl of beans. 
a bowl of beans for your birthright, and we do it every day. It smells good. I want to try that. I want to see what that's really like. And so the immediate need starts to feel so urgent that we think we got to have it now. I got to have it now. I can't wait any longer. I don't have any more patience. I need this thing right now. This whole story could be totally different if Esau just had one friend with him. If Esau just had one dude who went out on a hunting trip with him and came back and was like, Esau, what are you doing? You're not going to let him steal your birthright for a bull? Come on, man. I know you ain't your mom's favorite, but she's not going to deny you a meal. Mom knows how to cook, too. Come on. Let's go. There's something inside. You don't have to do this. All he needed was one friend who could warn him, who could help him to walk away from the bull. My job today is to be that friend, is to warn you, to walk away. From that bowl, walk away from that emptiness. God brought you to church today on Valentine's Day so his spirit could tell you to walk away from that bowl. Walk away from that bad decision. Walk away from that habit. Walk away from that thing that's hurting you, that's stealing from you, that's costing you. I know you're tempted to compromise, but your integrity is worth more than whatever is in that bowl. Don't do it. Let me warn you today. Watch how the story ends. Watch how tragic this is. Watch what happens when you take the bull, when you don't walk away from it, when you make the decision to compromise. Verse 33, but Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. Just a moment. Didn't even say he liked it. Didn't even say he enjoyed it. He ate and drank and then he got up and left and it was over. Went through him just like that. So Esau despised his birthright. One of the saddest statements in Scripture. The thing that was supposed to be an honor for Esau, the thing that was supposed to be a blessing to him, the thing that he got as the firstborn, that he was going to be the patriarch, he was going to lead the family. Now he despised it. In other words, he wished that he hadn't even been the firstborn at all. I wish I'd never even had this opportunity. I'd rather have never been the firstborn than to have been the firstborn and given it away for a stupid bowl of beans. Brings us to our last warning today, which I think is the most powerful of the three. Write this down. Beware, number three, of the temptation to give up what you want most for what you want now. Beware the temptation to give up the thing that you want the most for the thing that you need, you think you need right now. I really do want to stick around and raise my kids, but this girl at my work, she just, she makes me giggle. I really do want to stick around and be a part of this family, but there's this other opportunity right now. And time after time after time, people exchange the thing that they want the most, the thing that they desire the greatest. If you were to sit down and rank their priorities, the priority to have an affair would never show up near the top. But they give up that greater thing. That thing that they truly want, that thing that they truly want to experience and be a part of, they give it up for a cheap moment, for a little fling. Why? Because we exchange the thing that we want the most for the thing that we want now. It happens all the time. Birthrights for beans, birthrights for bulls. It's a bad deal. It's a bad trade. Far too many Christians come here in City Church are giving up their birthrights for some temporary bowl of beans. This bowl isn't going to satisfy you. It's not going to fulfill you. It's not going to be what you think it is. Walk away from it. Don't do it. I know somebody's in here thinking, okay, this is interesting, maybe mildly entertaining. You've definitely convinced me I need to go out to eat for lunch because I'm hungry because you keep talking about food. 
but it doesn't really apply to me because I don't have a birthright. Man, Jacob and Esau, their dad was loaded. My parents don't have anything. I don't have any birthright. Well, I want to tell you this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, you do. You do. You may not know it. You may not be aware of it, but I need to open your eyes. Last week we talked about, about being aware of some things. I want to help open your eyes today to the inheritance that you had. I, I collected some verses from the New Testament. There's a ton of them. This is just a small example. But here's what talks about your inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious, his glorious what? Inheritance. And his holy people. In other words, he wants you to be aware of it, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What does that mean? It means that you would know you've got a glorious inheritance, that you'd be aware of the inheritance you have as a child of the king. Colossians 1.12, Paul again says, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Everybody say, I'm qualified. If you're a Christian, you're qualified. Doesn't matter what you did last night. Doesn't matter what you do tomorrow. You're qualified by the blood of Jesus. You are qualified to share in the inheritance of his holy people. You've got a birthright in the kingdom of light. Colossians 3.24 says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Since you know, since you know you need to walk out of here today knowing that you have an inheritance. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've given him your life, if you've declared him as Lord, you know that you have an inheritance. Not you hope, not you think, not it might be there. You can know that there is an inheritance for you. It is the Lord Christ who you are serving. I don't care who your mama is. I don't care what your last name is. I don't care how big your family's bank account is. I don't care how lame your dream car is. You've got an inheritance as a child of the king. You've got a birthright. Tell somebody next to you, you got an inheritance. Tell the second choice on the other side, I got an inheritance. There are things that God has designed for you and purpose for you that have your name on it. You have a birthright. Look at, listen, listen to this. Jacob couldn't steal Esau's birthright. He could only get Esau to give it to him. The enemy cannot steal that which God has provided for you, that which God has guaranteed for you. The enemy cannot take your inheritance. He can only get you to give it up. He can only get you to hand it to him. Birthrights were transferable. You see, Esau trades his birthright here, and Jacob is on the receiving end of it. And we're all going, come on, man, it's just a bowl of beans. How would you ever give up your inheritance for that? But we give it to the enemy all the time. Let me give you a few examples. God has given us peace. How many Christians do you know, and I've been guilty of this many times, we're praying and we're asking God for peace. God, I just need some peace right now. And we're not even aware of the fact that it's already part of the inheritance. We've already got it. Look at what Jesus says in John 14, 27. He says, peace, I leave with you. Why is he leaving it? Because it's an inheritance. He's leaving this world and going on to the next. And when you leave this world and go to the next, you leave an inheritance. So he says, I'm leaving you peace. Believer in Jesus Christ, today you have peace. You may not be walking in it. You may not be experiencing it, but it's not because God didn't give it to you. It's because you've allowed the enemy to take it. 
He says, my peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world does. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. We got people in this room who have been given peace, and yet we're not eating peace. We're waking up in the morning and eating the enemy's bowl of worry. Beans for breakfast. And we're scarfing down some worry. We're scarfing down some stress. We're scarfing down some trouble. And all day long, your stomach's upset. All day long, you walk around disturbed and angry and bothered because we're eating the bowl the enemy puts in front of us. Instead of standing on the word of God, I'm a child of the king. I've got peace. Yeah, I got a bad situation I'm going through. Yeah, there's some trouble right now. Yeah, I don't know how this situation is going to work out. But Jesus Christ died so he could leave me some peace. And I'm receiving that peace even in the middle of my storm. So you got a birthright to peace. It's not just peace. He's promised you joy. My mom used to sing this song when I was a kid, and I'm not going to try to sing it for you. But it said, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Full of glory. It's a quotation from 1 Peter from the New King, or not the New King James, from the King James Version. Joy unspeakable and full of glory in the Holy Ghost. That's old school King James right there when you get the Holy Ghost in there. You know it's King James. The Holy Ghost has given you what? Joy unspeakable. Not just a little joy. Not just a, enough joy to make it through the day. Joy, so much joy you can't even find words for it. That's your inheritance, daughter of the king. That's your birthright, son of the king. That kind of joy. Why aren't we walking in it? Because we're eating the wrong bowl. We're receiving and taking the junk that the enemy puts in front of us and thinking it's going to satisfy us. Ephesians 1 puts it this way. It says, when you believed, you were marked in him, Jesus, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that Holy Ghost, who's given you full of joy unspeakable and full of uh, glory, verse 14, is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. How do you know you got an inheritance? The Holy Spirit lives in you. If God's given you his Holy Spirit, you are marked with the seal. So when God looks down, he says, that's one of mine. That's my daughter. That's my girl right there. That's my boy. He's mine. That's the seal. That's the mark of our inheritance. And because you have the Holy Spirit, God has made it possible for you to have joy. Choice is yours. It's mine. He's already paid the price. The devil can't take your joy. But you can give it to him. And he does it time after time to God's people. He tricks us into accepting a cheap plastic substitute. And we walk around with the marked inheritance of the Holy Spirit, discouraged and down and depressed. And God's paid for us to have better. He's promised us better. How about this one? God's given you a testimony. He's given you a testimony. You know, when I was in middle school, I started bringing a lot of my friends to church, and there were three friends in particular who I brought to church. One of them was a girl that I liked. One of them was a friend of mine, and one of them was the girl that he liked. And so I brought all, all these people to church, and, and they started getting connected and getting involved. And then I hatched this stupid, ridiculous plan to try to impress the girl that I was into because I knew that, that my, my friend liked this other girl, and I knew that she didn't like him. So I decided we're going to tell him that she likes him. 
It's going to be hilarious. I'm a bad friend. Can I just say that? Don't be my friend. You can fight. There are better friends out there. I've grown, but this is terrible. So here I do this. We hatch this plan, and he gets so excited, and he decides to ask her out, and he goes face-to-face with her, and she's like, no, I'm not into you. And I set that whole thing up. Now, now I ruined a friendship there, and this is how lame my friends are. He didn't have any better choice, I guess. So he forgave me and was still my friend. Uh, either a really, really good guy or just very desperate. I'm not sure. But he was still my friend after it. I should have ruined a friendship there. Shouldn't have still had the right to be his friend. But you know what I did worse than that? Ruined my testimony. For all three of them. They all knew it. That I exchanged this man's reputation. That I exchanged his feelings so that I could have a moment of, of humor. So that I could sit back and think something was funny so I could impress some stupid girl? I gave up my testimony for that. Somebody in this room, you're exchanging your testimony for something far too cheap. You're giving up your ability to witness to people that you work with, to family members, for something so small and so insignificant. The enemy is stealing stuff from us that he can't even take, but we're giving it to him. We're handing it to him. Matthew 5 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It says, let it shine. What does that mean? It means you already got it. Your testimony's there. Your light is there. You just got to let it shine. Quit cutting it off. And then if you go back a verse, verse 15, it says this, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. We're taking a stupid bowl from the enemy, and it's destroying our testimony. And we can't shine a light. Leonard talked about the way that we love, being a testimony to the, to the lost, being a testimony to the world. There's some people in this room, you're walking around with the bowl on your head, and nobody can see your light. We got to quit accepting that bowl and taking a pen and giving up a Porsche. And every day there's a bowl in our faces being led by our senses rather than by the spirit, and we give up the things that matter most for things that don't matter at all. might seem like we're being pretty hard on Esau for his bad decision, right? He only made one bad decision in this story. Like, it's, it's one mistake. Surely there's some grace. Surely there's forgiveness. But look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Is, we're getting close, I promise. We're almost there. Hebrews 12, verse 15 says this. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. We think that Esau is the one who lost in this story, and he does. But Jacob loses too. Jacob loses a brother, as we saw last week, for 21 years, no relationship. But not only that, Edom, the nation who comes from Esau, is going to persecute and attack Jacob's descendants for centuries. There's a great price to pay for what happens, what goes on in this story. There's a bitter root that grows up to cause trouble. And then verse 16 says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. What an epitaph. What a way to be remembered. What a horrible statement to have made about you. The, the writer of Hebrews has just written Hebrews 11 and gone through the hall of faith and listed off all of these great men and women of God and all the great things that they did. And he gets to have chapter 12, and he needs to give some warnings. And he's like, who can I use to illustrate this point of godlessness? Oh, yeah, Esau. He's somebody who gave into his physical desire and exchanged what was most important for something that didn't last. I'll go with him. I'll go with Esau. You know, last week we learned that God is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Abraham was firstborn. 
Isaac was the firstborn. Same as should have been as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Esau. But Esau made a trade. Esau traded a legacy that he could be known for generations. He traded it for a bowl of beans. And now he's known as the godless one. He's known as the one who didn't even serve God, who didn't love God. It says, for a single meal, he sold his inheritance rights as the only son. It was one meal. It was one moment. Afterward, as you know, verse 17, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought his blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. We could end the message here. We could say, that's the danger of the bowl. That's the, that's the danger of giving in to our, our earthly desires. But you're going to lose the blessing. You're going to lose the inheritance. But I don't think we can end it here. And if you'll stick with me, if you'll give me four more minutes, I've got to take you through, through two other things very, very quickly. You see, there's another story in the Bible of two sons. It's a very famous story. It's a story of we call the prodigal son or the lost son. And in that story, there's another son who goes off, who leaves home, and who gets hungry. And he comes home hungry as well. And, and the Bible says that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and ran out to him. You see, a lot of times we say that God will meet you halfway. God won't meet you halfway. You can't make it halfway on your own. And father ran to his son. You don't have to make it halfway. Who do you think you are? Just try. Just take a step home. The father's running to you. So the father runs out, and he celebrates him, and he, and he says, we're going to kill the fatted calf. We're going to throw a party. We're going to have a feast for this starving son. And in the story, starving sons, there was only one starving son in the message until now, and we find a second starving son. And, and this son is restored. He took his inheritance. He disgraced his father. How come this son receives salvation, receives forgiveness, receives a reinstatement back into his family, and Esau went back and, and couldn't receive his? Well, there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that difference is one more son, an oldest son, who came for you and for me. And that son, Jesus, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, this firstborn says this, says, for those that God foreknew, he also predestined. And we can argue about the meaning of those theological terms, and I promise we don't have time to do that in the two minutes I got left. So we're just going to go past that for just a second. He says he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, as a Christian, you are being conformed to the image of Jesus. You're being made to look like Jesus, that he might be, Jesus, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You see, Jesus was the firstborn son who didn't take the bull. The enemy came to him and said, turn that rock into bread. And Jesus was starving. Jesus was hungry. And Jesus said, no, I don't need that bread. I am the bread of life. I don't need that which I already am. I'm not going to lower myself. I'm not going to compromise that which matters most for a temporary empty bowl. And because Jesus did that, the firstborn, your older brother, my older brother, now we have a part in the inheritance. You see, because a birthright can't be stolen, but it can be given away. And Jesus denied the enemy his birthright. I'm not giving you my birthright. But he freely gives it to you and me. And so now because of Jesus, that lost son can come home. 
We can come home. We can be welcomed into God's family if we simply believe, and we can be restored to our birthright. There's some Christians in here, and you've been wandering around with no peace, with no joy, with no testimony for a long time. You've been walking around with a bowl on your head, with an empty bowl in your lap, and I want you to know that because of Jesus, you can get your birthright back. You can get your joy back. You can get your peace back. You can get your testimony back. All you got to do is come home. All you got to do is turn home. And he's waiting with open arms to throw a party in your honor. That's the older brother we got. And that's the birthright we have as 